Hey, Gal Pal Nation, are you ready for football? It's time for some two-a-days, where each NFL team is broken down by experts to get you ready for game day. Everything you need to know, and a few tips to impress the pickiest of football fans. Now, your host, the sports gal pal herself, Ramona Rice. All right, gals and pals, as my quest to get you guys ready for the NFL season, I am bringing on all of the X-Stand-Up superfans, and we've got the champ is here today. It is Patrick, the superfan for the New England Patriots. Patrick, welcome to Sports Gal Pal. Thanks, Ramona. Good to be here. How are you doing? I am great. All right, news today broke that, you know, Tom Brady and versus the NFL, or the NFL versus Tom Brady, just depends on how you look at it. Um, you know, they went to court. There was no decision. In a couple of days, we should get a decision from the judge. I know that you have spoken very passionately about this issue on Next Fan Up, and the fact is, is that you guys, I feel like, you need a decision soon. Looking at the past couple of games preseason-wise, Brady didn't look like himself. I know that there's a little bit of changes in the offense, per se, but he looked uncharacteristically rattled um, in the last season game. I don't know if that's something you noticed as well. What are your thoughts? I mean, I sort of notice it every year, and um, there are two things. One is, this is not atypical of Tom Brady in the preseason. Um, and I'd like to think it's because Bill Belichick is the ultimate I want to practice situational football kind of guy. And that means in the preseason they're trying to set up the fourth wide receiver and that just doesn't play into Tom Brady's favor who wants to see the entire field, but he's trying to do weird and different things and throw to guys that normally shouldn't be catching the ball um, because he's trying to be part of the game plan for preseason game, which is you know, an extension of practice. And that doesn't lend itself to success all of the time. I'd like to think that, except that usually the first couple games of the season are kind of bad too. So maybe it's more of a, we upset the apple cart a little bit with Tom Brady, which is going to happen every year. Then there's a whole new learning curve to go to the top of in terms of the defense for, or in terms of the offense rather for half the guys on the team. And, you know, Tom Brady doesn't really work well with that. Everybody really needs to fire at all cylinders for, for the machine to work at all. Are you concerned at all? Let's say worst case scenario for Patriots fans and also for this entire issue, because I do agree with you. The NFL, um, I think, has been egregious in their um, punishment of Tom Brady. While I do think that maybe something may have happened, we don't know per se. I don't know if the investigation was very thorough. As I've been looking more and more into this issue, I'm kind of agreeing with Pat's fans that it does seem like it's a frame job, as Matt Chatham wrote today on Twitter. Are you concerned that if the judge rules in favor of the NFL, which I've, that those four games that Tom Brady misses, and then again with an additional fifth week of bye, that that's going to put you guys further behind? Well, I mean, they're not going to bring us ahead, right? So if you can only move in two directions, behind certainly would be the direction. Um, and it is it is something of a concern you know, to lose your, your star quarterback for four games. I don't care which four games they are. I don't believe they're easy games in the NFL. The concern here, I, I am concerned that Berman could rule in favor of the NFL because, and this is where it gets tricky, the commissioner does have the authority to talk, to, to suspend Tom Brady for conduct, for conduct detrimental to the league and basically for the way it's worded in in the agreement states that and I'm paraphrasing here, I don't have it in front of me, basically for making public opinion go against the NFL, Tom Brady is is subject to suspension. My problem with that is that I do agree with Matt Chatham. This is a frame job. And the only reason, the only reason that 
public opinion is against the Patriots is because the NFL hyped the media filled with what came out to be just, there's no other way to put it, but lies about what the Patriots did and, you know, the, the deflation of the balls. And they used poor, poor Chris Mertensen. And I, and I might be the only person in New England that feels bad for this guy. But they just used the guy. They lied to his face, and he corroborated with four guys from the NFL, four executives from the league office, and they all told, they all fed him what ended up being the exact same lie. So they completely set up him to set up the Patriots. They did the same thing with other people. Other people have come out and apologized for it. Mortensen hasn't, and that might be that might be the difference. But I, I don't hold it against him individually. I, I think he got set up and. and he was a victim of it alongside Tom Brady. He certainly wasn't as big a victim as Tom Brady. But um, but the NFL has has used the media to influence public opinion against the Patriots and Tom Brady, and now they're saying that Tom Brady is guilty because of public opinion. You know, it's like it's like, dude, you are the ones that did this. Like like you are setting my house on fire and charging me with arson. It's incredibly like insane it is completely insane that i i feel like honestly as i've been watching this as i've been looking last year the nfl for a terrible reason was one of the most talked about topics this time of year because of what ray rice did to his wife and his or his fiance right. at the time now his wife i almost mm-hmm. wonder maybe it's a conspiracy theorist to me as i'm looking at it because i'm you know i work in marketing you know roger goodell is not stupid guess what everybody's talking about on good morning america on the today show on my local news they're talking about this the court case so guess what even non-fans of the nfl are talking about the nfl it adds a layer of drama that's unexpected and i just find it really convenient that he gets suspended for four games and magically the first game back is going to be against indianapolis i mean you know do I think that maybe something happened to the the balls? Maybe. I, I, it could have happened, not in the real time frame, but, you know, maybe he did like them a little bit under, and maybe that isn't technically fair. Okay, fine. But there are other players who do other things to the balls. And that seems like it's a procedural issue that the NFL needs to address with the officials, and they need to have better protocols to maintain the integrity of the game equipment. I just feel like the way this is handled, and again, the more immediately when it first came out, I was like, oh, yeah, Brady cheated. And I, and I kept saying it, kept saying it, kept saying it. But, you know, the more I've read and the more I look into it, you know, I don't think this is necessarily a Patriots issue. I think this is an overall NFL issue. And I think you and I in past conversations have had this where, you know, Roger Goodell has put himself in a hole where if he doesn't get his way on this, he has undermined his authority for more serious issues, like another Ray Rice situation. And I just feel like it's just a big waste of time. Yes, it's a big waste of time, a huge waste of money. I love that, as, and again, as a Patriots fan, this is costing $5 million. Right? It's like, it, so no, it's not, they didn't put enough time into the investigation. They put in a ton of time into the investigation, a ton of time, a ton of money, a ton of thought power and manpower. And at the end of it, what did they find against Tom Brady or the Patriots? Nothing, like nothing, 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 nothing. Like they had to go back to last year to try and find anything even remotely incriminating. And that's pretty weak evidence. The text messages going back and forth between as some people call them Beavis and Butthead, you know, and that's the best they could do. They didn't find a nickel of evidence on Tom Brady, absolutely nothing, despite searching real, real hard. And the first question Berman asks the NFL when they come into his office is, you know, where is the evidence of a conspiracy? I don't see any. I didn't see any either. I read that report front to back, which I didn't, you know, but I did. And 
nowhere in it, despite all that all that effort, does it cite a single instance where Tom Brady even suggested he wanted the balls below twelve and a half psi? Let alone that they were below twelve and a half psi. That's not proven either. And, yeah, but in the general fan's mind, if you're outside of the New England fan base, I don't think, number yeah. one, they care anymore unless they're going to face you this year, especially during those first four games. And I also don't think that they have any sympathy for you guys, and that's a lot of uh, jealousy. I know my part. Again, I'm, we've talked about this. I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan. I'm still very upset at the Super Bowl loss, um, you know, simply because – there was implications, and I know you've spoken about this on Next Fan Up, where the spying was technically not illegal, and I don't want to get into that because we've, we've already we've discussed that, and you've discussed that, um, and you've made your points, I think, very well on that. My problem still with Brady is this. Number one, I feel like this damaged Brady more so than the NFL, just in the, maybe not forever, but for right now, because he was, he looked like he was the golden guy. I mean, he just, he could do no wrong. But already he had the perception of he got everything easy for him, which isn't true because if you look at his college days and his high school days, that that's so not true. He got very lucky to be on a team with a quarterback that got that with a coach that got him, and they've had very good success. And that takes a lot of work, and and they've done that. Um, so I can't be that mad at you guys, right? But I do have a problem with some of Brady's actions after this because I'm going okay if I, and I realize that I don't know that I would want to turn over my personal phone to my employer for them to look at. But at the same mm-hmm. time, that would have been so much easier. But I feel like, you know, was it worth it for Brady? And I'm talking about this as a whole team, but wouldn't it have just been easier just to play ball and just give the league what they wanted, you know, try to reduce the, the suspension or get those removed mm-hmm. and then just move on from this, like turn over the phone so that there wasn't any, like, corroborating evidence? Well, you have to think about it in terms of the timeline of events, right? So. Tom Brady wasn't asked for his phone the morning after the AFC Championship game, right? Uh, and if he if he were, maybe he would have surrendered it. Maybe he wouldn't have. Like, we can speculate on that. The NFL basically sent in a SWAT team at halftime. It was insane, right? And that's been pretty well documented what a cluster that was. You know, so immediately the Patriots are sort of on the defensive. The next morning, Patriots get an email from the league office saying that we have did an investigation and found out during the course of that investigation that you guys cheated. You've been cheating this whole time. Um, we caught you red-handed. All these balls were underinflated by two pounds each. Um, this is all like in a letter from, or an email technically, from the NFL to the, to the crafts. You know, 15 minutes later, Tom Brady's on his phone with, you know, Yastrzemski saying like, dude, uh, what are they talking about? Like, they're saying these balls were two pounds under each. Like, what happened, right? And that, of course, gets leaked immediately by the league office, you know, to the press that Tom Brady is having these clandestine phone calls with these these ball boys trying to get their story straight. And and so begins, like, this long series of of leaks by the NFL with, lies and misinformation, right, starting with that email, starting with that email to the Patriots saying that these balls were dramatically underinflated and we proved it and you guys were cheating, right? Well, that ends up being untrue and just a complete lie, but it's on sent to the team as part of a, like a precursor to disciplinary actions. So, of course, the Patriots take it very seriously because wouldn't you? Like, wouldn't you want to figure out what's going on? Because you assume it to be true. It's coming from the league office. Why would you assume it's a lie? Right? And this keeps happening, and they keep leaking them. And it gets to the point that there are three or four leaks to, to you know, 
to SI.com and mostly to ESPN, you know, from the league office saying this is what the Patriots are doing. And it's three separate instances, each meant to make them look more and more like these guilty conspirators that are, that are these mad scientists or like curly mustached villains like tying tying girls to train tracks, you know, waiting for moose and squirrel to set them free. And it's like, it's insane the things that they're claiming. And it gets to the point that the NFL's, or that the Patriots attorneys are in communication with the NFL league's attorneys saying like, what are you doing? You were leaking, your guys are leaking these stories and they're not true. We need you to come out with a public statement saying that they're not true because people are believing them and it's really damaging the brand. So now at this point, months into it, Tom Brady is saying they're getting interviewed for eight hours by FBI, retired FBI interrogators. It's nuts. And at the end of it, they want his cell phone because nothing he has said has incriminated himself. Now they want his phone. And his attorneys are saying, we don't have to give you the phone. Well, good. They shouldn't give him the phone. You can say cooperate with the league. Well, cooperation implies some sort of mutual goal. And it's clear at that point that the goal of the NFL is to hang Tom Brady. So who in their right mind, like, hangs the hand man a noose? After that happens, after Brady refuses to give him the phone, that's when the Wells report comes out. And guess what's in the Wells report? All of Brady's texts, because they, you know, they already had them, because they had the recipient's text, or they had the recipient's phones. But within all the text messages from the recipients, there's stuff in there only meant to make them look bad. Insults that they're telling one another, uh, insults about their wives, like, personal things that have absolutely no bearing whatsoever, except they're meant to make these guys look bad and stupid, right? And we don't pay a ton of attention to that. People joke a little bit about them because some of them are kind of funny and they make these guys look like 12-year-olds, right? But if you're Tom Brady, then all of a sudden every text in there becomes pretty highly screwed. I mean, even a couple of weeks ago, they leaked an email that Tom Brady sent to a friend of his from college who was asking him how he compares to, you know, Peyton Manning, and Brady says he's better than Peyton Manning. Well, okay, we're going to make a new cycle out of that because it makes Tom look look petty and overcompetitive, right? It's like, well, what does that have to do with anything that we're talking about? Absolutely nothing, but we're going to leak, right? Because the leak cannot be trusted on these things. They cannot. And Tom Brady, you can scrutinize him and say, like, well, he looks bad for not giving up his cell phone. And, yes, he looks bad for not giving up his cell phone, but ultimately I think it's the right decision because they would have found something on there to make him look even worse. They have acted without class or remorse through this entire event. All right. I, I think, you, again, you make a really good case. Let's talk about your offense for a minute. So let's pretend right, worst-case scenario. For, all right, back to football. Let's say worst-case scenario happens and Brady is out the right. first four games. Do you trust the, the backup? Do you really trust him to get you guys through those first four games? I mean, Garoppolo is – He's good. Like, he's good. But he is a one double-A quarterback in the second year um, with, frankly, a weak receiving core and a weak offensive line and no running game. So, and I know, like, we Patriots fans get a reputation for complaining about our amazing team all the time. Um, and guilty. Guilty. I'm doing that. I'm doing that right now. Um, it is not a team that is built to withstand the loss of Tom Brady. And I said the same thing. I would have said the same thing in 2008, you know, and Matt Castle comes in and wins 11 games. Um, you know, and Garoppolo, I think, is better than Matt Castle was at the time. But, no, the rest of the team is not as good as we were in 2008, not even close, um, especially, you know, our wide receiver depth is pretty bad. Uh, and our interior offensive line is really suspect. 
granted, we have three very promising young players, you know, including a star in the making center, if there can be such a thing, um, you know, who, who by all accounts is just a terrible, terrible man, but a really good center. And, um, uh, yeah, if we lose Brady for four games, I think those could be four losses. I think they could be four losses anyway. I'm not going to lie. Um, I don't think that they will be four losses. But the Patriots, in recent memory, the Patriots haven't gone up and just put, you know, hung 40 points on, on opposing teams and beat them, you know, 65 to, to nothing. Like, that that doesn't really happen. They usually win by a field goal, maybe two, Um and win the game on the last possession or two. Their, rest, their regular season games will look a lot like the Super Bowl did. And at the end of it, everybody's happy, and we all look at the Ws. But the fact of the matter is, like, those aren't comfortable wins. Those are very exciting games to watch as a Patriots fan. Like, we don't, at least I don't, take our our games for granted. that we're, I can I can just skip this game because it's going to be a blowout win. They're like, we don't, we don't get those. We, we earn those wins. Um, another big issue is that your secondary, which was very, very good last year, is non-existent. Um, none of those players are there anymore. How concerned are you with the defensive side of the ball? I'm more concerned with the defensive side of the ball than I am with the offensive side of the ball. I mean, our our front seven will be good or very good, um, hopefully, but I don't know if it's going to be enough to counter our defensive backfield. And when we did our draft podcast and maybe a couple of podcasts after that, you know, the, the same theme kept coming up for me, and people were talking about the departure of Revis, and yes, the departure of Revis is a big, big problem uh, because we didn't have anybody there to replace him, and we're hoping that, you know, we have a we have a second-year undrafted rookie free agent that happened to win the Super Bowl for us, stepping in and filling his shoes at left corner, but if Brown can't play, like in game time, when he's playing 60 minutes for 16 games, then we have a pretty serious problem at corner. But my bigger concern is always, like this offseason anyway, has been with strong safety uh, because I've seen Patrick Chung play, and it's not good. And he was he was protected um, by having really good corner play and good free safety play, and he was the weak weak part in you know, the passing defense. But it was fine because he had a bunch of guys around him that could cover him. Um, we don't have that now. And if I look back three years ago, two years ago, it, I'm just thinking I, I was watching terrible quarterbacks like Vince Young and Mark Sanchez just come in and throw for 400 yards on us because they could just uncork it deep, throw it over the strong safety, and they got a, they got a flanker running free for 40 yards at a clip. And there's nothing we could do to stop it. The only way we could stop a 40-yard pass play was to let the team cross our 50-yard line, so there wasn't 40 yards left anymore. Like, like that's it. Like that was our that was our deep defense. Is let them get into the red zone, and then we can tighten up a bit, um, and hopefully prevent them from scoring a touchdown and just give up a field goal. And I'm really, really concerned that that's going to be our our defense again uh, this year. My only real hope against that is, you know, maybe we get lucky with a safety that can come in and play, and maybe our corners are better than we think they're going to be and maybe our front seven is good enough at getting interior pressure to flush guys out of the pocket and, you know, make them dump it off or keep them in the pocket but make them hurry the pass so that they can't take a seven-step drop on us. Because if they can get seven straight steps back, then it's going to be 40 yards every time. Um, and we're going to have guys that, that should be serving lunch throwing for 400 yards. 
I find it funny and surprising, and I thought about this um, getting ready for this interview. You are one of the few Patriots fans I have ever spoken to. And whenever we talk about offense, um, the offense side of the ball, you do not immediately say Gronkowski. Like, you haven't mentioned him <clears throat> once. And I find that very fascinating. Why? Because I'm a pessimist, I guess, and I focus on the negative, and there's not a lot of that with Rob Gronkowski. Um, I mean, I worry about his injuries, I guess, because uh, the guy will take a beating. Um, but, yeah, if we lose Tom Brady, I mean, even if we don't lose Tom Brady, but if we do lose Tom Brady, um, get Rob Gronkowski on your fantasy team because it's going to be Garoppolo to Gronkowski all day long. Um, he is amazing. Like he's, he is great. He is great at pretty much everything he does. He's deceptively fast in terms of his long speed. He's big. He's got amazing body control and hands. Um, so you can just throw it up between two safeties. He's probably going to come down with it or pull a PI if he doesn't, because that's really the only way you're going to stop him from catching the ball. If it's even close to on target, he adjusts great to a badly, uh, poorly thrown ball. Um, and of course, him running a seam route up the middle, in theory, should free up um, you know our flanker and our wide receiver for dig routes. You know, so we can instead of getting three yards with those guys like we would have before Gronkowski, we're getting seven or eight, you know, ten yards, um, running basically the same patterns. That's all awesome. Like the, that's phenomenal. You know, the downside to it is because so much goes through Gronkowski and because he does have an injury history and does take huge hits, you know, taking on two safeties at a time, you know, you're concerned about what happens come, you know, January when you have a, let's say hypothetically, a 12-4 and four record. Um, and I know I'm talking that they're going to lose a bunch of games. I, I'm not thinking they're going to lose a bunch of games. They're going to win a bunch by a short margin. But let's say hypothetically you have a 12-4 record, you're rolling in January and Gronkowski's dinged up. Well, now it's going to be a one and done. You know, you're going to um, have Baltimore come in and they're going to roll you over and you're not going to have an answer for them because your offense is predicated on, on this one guy being there and maybe he's not, or if he is, maybe he's not 100% healthy and he can't draw double coverage um, because they know he's not 100% healthy and then the wheels come off the bus. Yeah, fortunately, Bill Belichick decided to spend his offseason acquiring tight ends. He got like nine of them or something ridiculous uh, this year. And maybe he's trying to build the best coverage unit in the NFL. Maybe. Because that's about the only thing I think he's going to do with that many tight ends. Mediocre tight ends at that. Um, you know, but, you know, we're going to run a lot of double tights. Uh, maybe he wants to be, like, in a, in a base-heavy set, you know, with, with Brady out, presumably. We'll run the football a lot. We just lost Devlin, uh, which means no fullback, which means probably a lot of two tight sets. Um you know, and hopefully you can line one of them up in the eye because uh, I'm not a, a huge believer of running, like, like twin tight ends on the, on the right side and just pitch it to the right. Like, I, I don't think that works in the NFL. But um, anyway, you asked me where Rob Gronkowski. I think he's awesome. Well, there, oh, well, I'm just glad you do agree that he is awesome. I love the guy. I don't like it when he plays yeah. my team um, because he's just ridiculous. He's just like a beast. He just He just... He's Gronk. I mean, you say Gronk and you know exactly what I'm talking about. He's just ridiculous. So I'm just, I'm just curious because you really are, like, if I mention, like, Patriots to um, Pod Vader, immediately it's Gronkowski. It just comes out of his mouth. He can't help himself. Um, so it's like, you know, anyway, I'm, I was just curious. So let's talk about the banged upness because your division is deceptively 
much more difficult this year than it was in previous years. And all three teams have improvements um, that are noted. You know, the Jets acquired a very good additional secondary um, person with Darrell Rivas from you guys last year. The Bills offensively are looking very good this preseason. And again, preseason means absolutely nothing until they actually get out on paper. And that defense is already very good. But, you know, Bills acquired great weapons in LaShawn McCoy. They, you know, have named a quarterback that's looking really good. And then the Dolphins have acquired an amazing defender in Dominic Um, Tannehill is looking very good. Are you concerned that this year may not be the year that the Patriots rule the, the AFC East? Yes. I mean, um, yes and no. I, I, I think the Patriots will win the NFC or the AFC East because they don't have a lot of faith in the other teams to string it together and win their 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 non division games. Um, they're all built to defend against the Patriots, and they all do a really good job of it. Um, funny thing, when you when you dominate a division so handily as the Patriots have done with the AFC East in the last fifteen years, the other teams get get paranoid and they spend a disproportionate amount of their time trying to build to stop you. Um, so the Patriots' real weakness on offense, like their most glaring weakness on offense is their interior offensive line. And where are those three teams the strongest? It's on their interior defensive lines. They probably have the – and somebody could correct me on this, but nothing comes to mind. I think they have the three best defensive lines in the in the league, um, you know, between the – the Bills, the Dolphins, and the Jets, probably in that order. Um, they're really, really, really good on the defensive line. And that attacks the weakness of the Patriots. Um, I mean, there are, two, there are two problems with that. The first is that it might be the weakness of the Patriots, but each of those teams only plays the Patriots twice a year. It, it's kind of foolish, in my opinion, to really try and build to, to defeat one team in your division. It, it's not really going to work in your favor if you're if you're so heavily focused on one team like that. Uh, the other is that Tom Brady, assuming he is playing, um, he gets rid of the ball. Like If you're going to pressure him, it's not going to be around the edges. He gets rid of the ball too quickly for a defensive end to come by and really disrupt him. Uh, it happens on occasion, but very rarely. Um, it's, the, press, the rush is going to come up the middle. That is why it does concern me. Um, I'm not super concerned because I believe in Tom Brady's ability to get rid of the football. I believe in his ability to do that, one, because he's Tom Brady, two, because we have Rob Ronkowski running a seam route, which means you have to be blitzing up the middle. Uh, you have to leave a, a linebacker in to try and chip him or or stay in zone coverage and try and cover him up until he can get deep. Um, you know, And the other is, while you have all that going on, ever since 2004, maybe 2003, the Patriots have been remarkably good at having a, having a wide receiver able to run short little crossing routes uh, to wherever the linebackers are moving and sitting in an empty zone. Uh, they're the best in the league at that. They have been for over a decade. And Brady Brady gets some criticism from some haters on, like, always hitting, like, these short little short little routes. You know, and, and my reaction is, yes, he always hits them you know, for, like, five, six, seven yards apiece. There's Edelman sitting there. He's going to be happy to get his 100 catches this year at seven seven yards apiece, and I'll take that all day long. And um, that's going to negate a lot of the of the pass rush that's coming from those amazing defensive lines. It doesn't change the fact I'm still scared of those lines. Like they're they're really really good. We're not going to be able to run against them. Uh, we're going to have last year our leading rusher was Jonas Gray. He had 400 yards rushing. 
I think we're probably going to look at something similar. Maybe our leading rusher gets 600 yards rushing and has a great year. But um, going against those defensive fronts with our relatively weak running game and relatively weak interior offensive line, we're not going to move the ball on the ground. So, I mean, yes, all three of those teams really concern me, and that's chief among the reasons why. Um, the other big division, um, well, out of division matchups that you guys play, you're playing the NFC East, so you're playing my Eagles. I am very excited to see um, how the Eagles look um, compared to the Patriots. It's later in the season, so we definitely know Brady, uh, barring injury, will be playing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are you looking forward to that game, or maybe against the Cowboys? Um, I I love Chip Kelly. Like uh, I used to, and I told you this before. Um, back when he was the coach at UNH, University of New Hampshire. You know, I used to, like, flip around the cable channels in Boston trying to find the New Hampshire games so that I could watch him play and I could watch, you know, um, you know was it uh, Ricky Sanchez? No, Ricky something. I forget his name. Their, their quarterback, you know, rewriting the record books of the, NCAA, of the, the NCAA record books, but for you know, 1AA, you know, so it gets the asterisks, but um, just rewriting the record books, passing and, they had a receiver that broke all of Jerry Rice's Division One AA records. Um, and it was all Chip Kelly's offense. Yeah, I, I went, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really intrigued by Chip Kelly, obviously. Um, you know, the rest of the team I, I could care less about. But. I'm intrigued by Chip Kelly, too, just because, again, we've been, you know, it's kind of funny. We, and I'll reveal this now. We had um, you on actually earlier last week, and um, user error for me, um, I couldn't figure out my recording studio that night. Um, so I had to bring you back on. You were very gracious to go, no problem, I'll come back on. And, and it was just, you've been terrific to work with. And, um, well, yeah, well, thank you. And one of the things I found um, interesting is that I, I kind of blasted you the last time because you were like whining like a typical New England guy, oh, my poor teens. And I'm like, yeah, four Super Bowl rings, like, stop it. But then I'm thinking, I'm like, I've been whining about Chip Kelly and my, my, my Eagles. I'm like, we were 10 and 6 last year. And yeah, we missed the playoffs. But, you know, had, had Nick Bowles been healthy, we probably would have gone to the playoffs. So I'm like, I need to stop whining. So I was like, oh, all right, I'll stop yeah. being like a New England fan. You know, and and stop whining. If you played the NFC South instead of the NFC East, I mean, you would have you walked away with it. Yeah, that's true. That is, this is very true. And we play the NFC South this year, so I think we're going to rack up lots and lots of um, good wins there too. For this yeah. season, and again, this season is definitely different because, again, all the off-field drama. What for you is successful season? I've asked a lot of my, a lot of the super fans now, the ones that have teams that are consistently good, like a Ravens, a Seahawks, you know, mm-hmm. ones that are really, really good. Is anything less than the Super Bowl appearance? a bad season? I don't think that's true. I, I think... Well, there you have it. And again, you can listen to Patrick and all of his passion on Next Fan Up. It's on blogtalkradio.com forward slash Next Fan Up. They will be doing um, battles um, this year, which I think is very fascinating. And I'm sure Patrick's going to be included in a few of those where it's uh, fan to fan. Um, they basically debate about their team and, you know, they represent us, the real people who love this sport and love this game, and you cannot deny, you, whether or not you agree with Patrick about any of the points he made tonight in this interview, um, you cannot deny his passion and his knowledge of the game and the Patriots. So, Patrick, as I've told all the super fans who happen to be so unlucky to play my Eagles this year, may your only loss be to my team, and have a great season. And you're welcome back anytime you want to come on Sports Gal Pal. I will see you during the regular season and again in the Super Bowl. <laughs> I, that's a date. There you go. 
Thanks for listening to the Sports Gal Pal Podcast. And be sure to check out sportsgalpal.com.